Revelation chapter 3, looking at verses 14 through 22. I thought we were going to get it to it last week and make it, but, uh, you know, as you look at the churches, some people look at them in different angles, as we've talked about, and one of the ways is that the churches represent a time period which represent hundreds of years, as we would know now, um, of dispensations of the church age, of what they would be wrestling with to go through to keep their faith. So, uh, for example, for example, I think I may have to get a new cord here or something. Um, we'll see if it does it again. I'm not sure what the answer to this is. But um, in... Um, You know, for example, the church of Ephesus would represent that first generation after Christ that would wrestle with keeping their their first love. And uh, as we come to the final one, we're looking at the church age, which in the rapture of the church comes, which we would believe to be our age. And uh, it's the church that is a lukewarm church. Now... um, as we look at those churches, and we've talked about that each one of them, we want to ask ourselves, Lord, is there a part of this, or a portion of this, or is an angle of this in which um, I need to change, or repent, or, or to be encouraged? Um, and I'll tell you, looking at each one of the churches, I, I have been greatly encouraged, and also convicted, and I probably will be again tonight. But um, this church here, in um, Laodicea um, is one that I, I do think um, very, very, very much applies. Um, at least the 30 years I've been pastoring, uh, very much, pretty much always uh, fits the bill of, of where I'm talking to. And, and uh, I, I do think it is um, going to be the downfall of the church in America. Um, if we don't snap out of, of being lukewarm. And, and I think tonight we'll, we'll see that. And in Revelation 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. We're going to discover again, Jesus here is speaking and, and he is the one who is faithful. I don't know about you, but when you have those days where everything just sort of is falling apart, you know, or you, you look at your world and it doesn't look very bright, you know, sort of just maybe you've had a year or five years like that, <laughs> where it's just sort of, you can't get worse, and then it does. Uh, and boy, it can't get harder than this, and then it does. And um, if you've lived long enough, you, you know you go through weeks and months and decades like that and it doesn't matter if you're a multi-millionaire and the most famous person on the world or you're an absolute nobody and poor everybody um, gets the stuffings kicked out of them sooner or later and uh, you, you think that it can't get worse and it, and it does and um, you know that's why I've told my kids all, all, all they're growing up you know life is hard you know, don't make it harder by sin with foolishness. And I would just simply say to us as, as Christians, um, 
Being a Christian's hard. Of course, being a non-Christian is a whole lot harder. Um, but being a Christian's hard. And when it is hard, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on yourself, you get depressed. Get your eyes on the world, you get depressed. But when you get your eyes on Jesus, and really that's what I sort of come as we're getting ready to look at the final church. He's just saying, think about him who's faithful. And I'll tell you, that uh, works every single time. In Revelation 19, 11, it says, Now I saw him and opened, behold, the white horse, and he who sat on him was called, what? Faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. You know, as a younger person, you know, you can, I used to hear all the words, you know, honor and faithful and true or whatever, and they had little meaning. You know, as I get older, these words just have incredible, profound meaning. Because if you've been around people that have been faithful, you, you realize how amazing of a quality that is. You know, and, and you know, maybe you've been married like I have. This, this June, me and my wife will have uh, been married 30 years. And uh, to have somebody who's been faithful, um, it, you know, it means everything. Without trust, you can have no relationship. And without faithfulness, you can't have trust. And uh, you, you realize it's like there's a lot of things that seem so important to you when you're younger. Um, but the bottom line is, is to find a people who will be around you that you can trust <laughs> and that are faithful. It, it, it means everything, doesn't it? And maybe you've, you've been in a world where you've been people that have stabbed you in the back or lied to you or you found out later have, have not been um, what they've been saying or trying to convince you they are. There's a, the day you're born and there's a little line and there's the day you die on your tombstone, if you have one. And that little dash... It's just a vapor of a life, isn't it? And uh, we'll look back, and I think we're all going to have regrets. But I think when we have been faithful, whether that's to your marriage, whether that's to your children or to your parents or to your friends, definitely to God, definitely to the church, faithful in whatever. Work, you know, everybody at work is stealing. I, I knew a guy who owned a grocery store and and he he was convinced that every single employee stole from him substantially and actually he could prove it maybe you're in that situation and you're like everybody steals but me <laughs> i'm a sucker they all think i'm a sucker because i don't steal i'm not getting paid what i should get paid and they all justify stealing by saying oh this cheapskate should have given me a raise i should be making this much i'm not so i'll just give myself a raise you know here's a bunch of steaks throwing in the trunk of my car. I just gave myself a raise. And a Christmas bonus too. Woo, you know, a couple bags of diapers. Throw them in there too, whatever. But yet here you are going, nope, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not, you know. And you'll look back 30 years and you'll, if it doesn't make any difference to anybody on this earth, when you stand before God, it will make a tremendous amount of difference. And uh, when we look at the nature of our God, we cannot have him be him without faithfulness. 
And I don't know about you, but it's just a healing balm to my soul when I think of our Jesus and being faithful. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and what? Faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able uh, to aid those who are tempted. Our Lord is faithful as a son. He's faithful as a savior. He's faithful as our friend. But here he's faithful as a priest. And the Bible tells us that we are all kings and priests. Remember chapter 1 of Revelation 1-6. We are all kings and priests. And all of us need to be faithful priests as well. Now, I've watched churches and communities. I've lived in small communities. And I've lived in communities of just a few thousand people. And the pastor does something horrible, you know, commits adultery, runs off with the secretary, or found out he's embezzling money or whatever. And, and you see that community just crumble. One church, one of many churches, and, and only maybe 70 people, 100 people go to the church. But yet in that community, they, we give trust, right? We just give it. You're, you're going to Walk down the road, you're not going to assume that guy's getting ready to put a gun in your face and steal your wallet. You just give the benefit of the doubt. That guy is an honest person, he's not going to rob me. Right? But then one day the guy puts a gun to your face and steals your wallet. The next day you go walking on that same street, guess what you're doing? <laughs> you're paranoid, you're afraid, you're assuming every person's going to steal. You, you, you lose that innocence, don't you? In the same way, we just give people the saying, I just believe you tell the truth until you prove to me you're a liar. And one of the things we do, and we should always do, is assume the pastors, leaders, priests, are honest, are moral. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. It should, should, they shouldn't have to fight for that. They shouldn't have to prove it. It should be given to them. But once it's lost, it's lost. And you can go back to those communities 30 years later and they haven't recovered. <laughs> There's places where people used the Calvary Chapel name. They weren't really affiliated with Calvaries and they, but they used the Calvary Chapel name because it would cause people to gather. And then you see this guy, he was just a charlatan and you can go back 30 years later and you still, even though there's a legitimate Calvary Chapel now there, they can't call themselves Calvary Chapel because that name is so badly damaged that if you call yourself Calvary Chapel, it's like the same as saying you're a whatever, a thief or a liar or whatever. And it's, it's, it's just, it's hard to see that, something you love and care for and represents, you know, Chuck Smith, you know, getting up close to 90 and just a man who for 65 years, I got to spend a day with him uh, a couple of weeks back and was talking to him. And you know, for 65 years, <laughs> he has been a faithful pastor. And uh, it means a lot. And so I, I've seen the damage that does. And of course, young people get stumbled and just never recover. You know, they're 
18 when the pastors revealed whatever and they're 38 and they still just can't trust the church. Don't have a desire to go to church. Don't desire to, they just sort of got bad taste in their mouth and it's not recovering. But I'll say in the same way, you can have a guy who's been in a community for 30 years and been faithful and, and, and been just this, what he appears to be is what he is and it is healing to a community. It is a stronghold. You know, I read about, about the strongholds of Satan in heavenly places. And, you know, I, I don't know so much about those, but I, I've seen the spiritual strongholds of God that can't be seen in heavenly places. And it's true. And, and I'll say with Calvary Chapel, San Diego, we've been here 27 years, and we are a pillar in this South Bay community. And um, Christians, non-Christians people in politics or people in business, when you bring up Calvary Chapel San Diego, um, even if they're a total non-Christian, we have a reputation of faithfulness, of goodness, of honesty, of love, of caring. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And, And in the same way with our Lord, you know, things can be turned upside down. This can be a mean, hard difficult world but guess what our Lord Jesus is faithful he is a great faithful high priest there's no coincidences in his kingdom he knows every hair upon your head he knows every word that you speak there's not one second of time or one second of pain that he is a a part of allowing uh, going to redeem it and turn it around for good. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it said, let us hold fast our confession. Let's hold on saying, yes, I'm a Christian and I'm going to follow Jesus. Let's hold on to our, fa- hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is what? Faithful. And that, just think about that. The Bible says, I should only give you one reason why you shouldn't let go. Turn away, slow down, stop your commitment to Christ, serving him, seeking him in the word, you know. You say, why am I seeking God today in prayer? Why am I seeking God in the word? Why am I coming to church? Why am I obeying God? Why am I living uh, morally this way rather than living morally this way? Why am I... Uh, you know, spending my time or my money or my focus this way rather than that way because the Lord has asked us to and he's the truth and he's the way. He's the right way. He's the truth. There's no way, uh, other way to live on this earth than to follow him. And well, why, 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 why is his word above all words? Because he's God. (laughs) He's our priest, but he's faithful. He has proven faithful. There's a great saying um, one of our missionaries always quotes uh, Bill Osborne, our missionary, one of our missionaries in Hungary. And it, it says this, that when you think about God's past faithfulness, it should demand your present trust in him. And that's it. When you think about God's past faithfulness, it should demand your current trust in him. And when you're in the, the middle of the trials, things are not clear, are they? <laughs> not cut and dry, and there's not light at the end of the tunnel. 
And sometimes all you can do is hold on (laughs) and just say, he's faithful. He has been, he is, he will be. He's faithful. Now I could go on and say a whole bunch of other wonderful things about him, couldn't I? He's forgiving, he's merciful, he's sacrificed for us. He's the creator of all things. I mean, I could say all things, but when you look at the Bible, it repeats this by saying, He's faithful, and it should be enough. There, shouldn't, you, there doesn't have to be a number two motive for why we should continue to obey and follow him. He's faithful, and, and it's enough, you know. In the same way, you might say, well, why are you staying married, and why are you still loving your wife, and why are you just like, you know, she's faithful. It's enough. It's, it's, a, it's enough reason why I should continue to be the husband I should be, huh? Just because she's faithful. And um, again, there's a whole lot of other wonderful reasons I love her, but it's enough. And the same with our Lord. And Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If you don't have this memorized, memorize this. If we are faithless, and sometimes we are to our own shame, aren't we? He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It's his very nature, like saying water is wet. (laughs) God is faithful. And when we go through meltdowns and curse God and curse being alive and curse our boss and curse America and curse everything, you know, and we're, you know, after we have our meltdown and, you know, get a good night's sleep and get our favorite ice cream and we wake up going, oh boy, what did I just do? Who all heard me? And, you know, how much damage control that, you know. Um, the Lord didn't change his mind, did he? The Lord didn't say, ah, we're going to have to think about you and whether I'm going to put up with you anymore. There, there's just nothing we can say or do that's going to change God's care, love, promises, faithfulness towards us. And we know that, don't we? He's faithful. And you can't change that about him. I don't know why you would want to, but even if you did, you can't. And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, man, I'm just not where I need to be spiritually and I just, I would like to believe that God would forgive me. But I'm having a hard time believing that. Well, I got a great verse for you. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, your flesh may not make you feel forgiven. The devil's definitely condemning you, telling you, nah, it's not true, he's not forgiving you. Man may be mad at you, trying to hurt you, telling you, not even God will forgive your ugly mug. You know, whatever. But guys, it goes back to God being faithful. Jesus tells us that he took all the sin of the world upon himself, and he paid for our sins. And he didn't do that for no reason. <laughs> he paid for all of your sins that he could forgive all of your sins. Right? And so we have that confidence that he said he would forgive all sin. And if he said it, he is faithful. And then he's also true. And of course, we could tie those in very, very close together. 
being faithful and being true. What? Jesus Christ is a faithful and true in this particular case in Revelation. He is a faithful and true witness referring to the Father. Again, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. What he says about the Father, about himself, about life, death, heaven, hell, it's true. And he's the only one that can truly tell us about the Father. In Matthew 11, verse 27, it says this, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. There's only one that can truly tell us, truthfully, 100% accurately, about the Father, and that's the Son. And if the Son doesn't reveal the Father, then nobody is going to be able to reveal the Father. And in John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Again, logically, God is infinite. We're finite. And so there's nobody who can explain to a finite person about the infinite. But there is one who is infinite, who came into finite flesh. And he is the one who can explain one to the other. And it's the only way it could happen. There's a story about a man who was in the middle of the winter time in a very cold, snowy climate. He was out in his greenhouse. And there in the greenhouse, a, a little bird had come in. And it was flying around. And, and then all of a sudden, it just started s- s- just going straight out to this window and just bloodying itself and hit and sort of knock itself out and get back up and hit. And the guy was trying to get to the bird and he opened the doors and opened the windows even though it might kill the plants and, and he's trying to get the bird out the window. And the more he's trying, it seems like the dumber the bird was getting. The closer he got, the more anxious the bird was getting. And he was there thinking in his mind, if there's some way I could become a bird... <laughs> And either show him with my example how to get out of here or speak his bird language that he could understand and get him out of here. And that very night, his family had asked him to go to a Christmas Eve service. And he said, no, nah, I don't believe that stuff. And why would you know, God have to become a man? None of it makes sense to me. And as he was there watching this bird die, which it ultimately did, it dawned on him. God just used that as an example. That God came into human flesh. That he could indeed speak his infinite language to us finite minds. That he could show us that he cared for us. That he wants to lead us. That his example is enough and his words is enough. But either one isolated can get you there. And so what we have in Jesus is one who is God in human flesh, who is faithful, who is the true witness of the Father. 
And there is another phrase that we've talked about, the beginning of creation of God. This is where one language to another can break down. It doesn't mean the beginning as the first one. It means the beginning as the most important one. We have the word preeminent. Uh, we covered this before when we, we, in, earlier in Revelation, and we looked at Colossians 1 and so forth. Jesus was not created, and that's not what he's saying here, that Jesus was created. Jesus is the greatest of all creation. In Colossians 1, it says that Jesus is the firstborn raised from the dead. Well, Jesus wasn't the first one raised from the dead, is he? We have people in the Old Testament that are raised from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead. The boy of Nain, Lazarus from. So Jesus wasn't the first one raised from the dead. But was Jesus the most important person of all humans ever raised from the dead? <laughs> Absolutely. If he didn't raise from the dead, we're all still in our sin. And so Jesus, this one, the greatest of of the preeminent one of all that have come into human flesh, that all have lived, that all have died, that all have risen again. He is the one now declaring to us uh, of the Father. And he is the great and faithful um, witness. And so in Revelation 3, verse 15, he now says to the church of Laodicea, I know your works. Now, sometimes to the churches that it was good, sometimes it's bad. In this case, it's not so good. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, we, we just got to stop here and just realize how incredibly heavy of, of, a, of a couple sentences this is. First of all, at first glance, you, you say, being lukewarm, I mean, that's not that bad of a thing. Matter of fact, I don't like my coffee too hot. It burns me. I don't like really cold water. It hurts my teeth. I sort of like my water lukewarm. I know you're not supposed to say that because that's a bad thing, but actually I sort of like my food a little lukewarm. I like my coffee a little. What's, what's the bad thing about being lukewarm here? Well, a- again... If you're talking about coffee or steak or something, it, it, might, uh, it might be a preference that, that's acceptable. But in relationships, it would be horrible. Now, I, I know a situation, and you probably do too. I know a, a couple that were sort of the high school item. They were the boyfriend-girlfriend, and you know they sort of got stuck in that rut where, you know, both sides of the family had sort of from little kids thought, oh, we're going to get marry him off someday. And they sort of felt the pressure and they were both, you know, she was the head cheerleader and he was the head quarterback and, you know, they looked so good together and they were the king and the queen of the prom and, you know, whatever. They, they kept being together. And both sides of the family liked them being together. And, you know, you know since they were kids, they were around each other and their families, they all go to the same church and whatever. And now... You know, they're, they're in high school and they're spending holidays together and they're doing vacations together. And, and, and now they get out of high school and they start college or they're working or whatever. And, and uh, the relationship just seems to keep going on. And, and, you know, the parents are saying, hey, you guys going to get engaged or whatever. And the guy is thinking, or the girl is, is thinking, but in this case, let's just say the guy is thinking, man, I really like her. I'm so comfortable around her. 
She's a great friend, and I love her family. They're like my family, and her brother's like my brother, and, you know, and, 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 but I just, I'm just not ready, I'm just not ready to get married yet. You know, I love her, man, she's great. I just love being around her, she's my best friend. But when I go to get that ring, and to say, would you marry me, I just, I'm just not ready for that yet. I guess I'm just still, still too immature or whatever. And she's waiting faithfully, waiting, 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 and all of a sudden, she's now 36 years old. <laughs> They've been boyfriend, girlfriend, sort of unofficially, not quite engaged, but to be engaged, to be engaged. And, and he finally just says to her, you know what, I, you know, I was over this uh, last summer. I, you know, went with the Peace Corps or whatever, and and I met this girl, and I just got hit like a bag of dynamite hit me. I just looked at her and just felt this feeling like I've never felt before. I just had such a lover. We got to know each other, and I just I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't eat. I got thinking about her. I was with her three months solid and and um, I, I haven't asked her to marry me but I, I, I know that we've been dating since we were kids and we're both 36 years old now and I just, I just can't do it. It's not I love you. It's not that I don't love you but I, I just can't marry you. And I realized I've, this per, other person just, I, I love them. That's, that's what it's supposed to feel like. Now what's that girl going to think? She's going to think, you know, I, I wish you have always hated me. <laughs> you've, you've wasted my life. I mean, I, I sit around, I love you, you're the only one for me, I've never thought of anybody else, but I've just sort of waited and waited and waited, thought, you, you know, you were being mature or raising money or whatever the reason was, and, and he's just like, I'm so sorry, you know, it wasn't that I, 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 I do love, I just, I never have just, like, and hit, like this experience, get you know hit over the head with a uh, you know a, a bag of grenades. I just have never had that experience with you. I don't know why I didn't have this overwhelming love for you. I, I wanted to. I wish I did. But in essence, now she's going to say, <laughs> "My life was wasted by you." I wish you had hated me, right? Or I wish you would just overwhelmingly love me. But by keeping me sort of in this, I love you, but not overwhelmingly love you, I, you, you have wasted my life. All the years we could have been having a family, or all the years I could have been with somebody else having a family, you, you with your being lukewarm have neutralized my life being happier and fruitful, right? We can see that in a relationship. And I think anybody would say, would see the tragedy in that, right? In the same way, we can be raised up in a Christian culture into Christianity without really coming to terms with our sinful condition and realizing what sinners we are and that how wonderful of a Savior He is. 
And in essence, the Lord is, is saying, you know, hate me. <laughs> or really love me, but I can't, have, I can't stay here. I can see what's going on. We're in this holding pattern for decades and, uh, you know, I'm going to be way past the age of ever having children and you're going to ask me to marry you because you're just embarrassed not to marry me at this point. It's not because I'm this mad passion of your life. You know, I think, I think sin will make a person lukewarm. I think you get too much of the world where you can't really love the Lord and you have too much of the Lord to love the world. So you're in the world trying to live it up and party like the world without, but you're convicted and so you're miserable. But you're in the church and you're trying to worship and be holy and you're not and so you're miserable. And you're just sort of hating life as a non-Christian or as a Christian. Spurgeon makes an interesting point. He says that the actual sinful state of a person is being born into the world lukewarm. (laughs) You're not born into the world as an atheist. You're not born into the world as a believer. You're sort of born into the world saying, yeah, there's a God. But our natural sinful estate is to be lukewarm. To want to be living for myself, but yet I really need to live for the glory of God. But that takes work and it's hard and I have to put him first over my over myself. And then on the other hand, um, to really go for it and just surrender all to the Lord is something that takes a very great conscious effort. And so this is where the church always ends up. So, you, so for example, you, you have this church that comes into being, this guy gets saved and he tells all his friends about Christ and he passionately starts teaching the Bible and you have all these, you know, 200 people get together and they're just, man, we're forgiven and we're just, they're singing songs and reading the Bible and studying the Bible and they're just so thankful to God and passionate and, and, and but also what they're saying is convicting. They're telling all their buddies, hey, you commit adultery sin. Hey, don't judge me, you're a condemner. And hey, you getting drunk is a sin. You know? And they're out making enemies. People are either loving them or hating them, right? But what happens in time is if that church doesn't keep itself in the love of God, if that church doesn't continue to pursue to hate the world and hate worldliness, they're gonna get to that place of lukewarmness. And this is where you see most Christians. I, I don't want to talk about Christianity if it makes you uncomfortable. And then somebody will come up and say, man, you know, Jesus is the only way. Yeah, yeah, I, that's right. That's a good point. And then two minutes later, somebody will come up and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't think Jesus is the only way. But, well, yeah, I think you got a point. See, that's our nature, to want to be agreeable. You know, oh, so-and-so, you know, they... They're going to divorce their husband because they're really unhappy. And, you know, if they're unhappy, they should just go ahead and get a divorce. I think Jesus approves it. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, well, that's an interesting thing you're saying. I can, I can see that, yeah. The next person says, you know, the, the Bible says that we should never divorce. It grieves God. It angers God that, yeah, that's right. The Bible does say that. So that's our nature, you see. 
to just be agreeable, to get along, to not make anybody upset. That's our human nature, to agree with everybody at work and agree with everybody at the gas pump and to not have a sharp edge that cuts anybody. But Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. Jesus makes it clear, absolutely clear. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And if needs be, to divide. And then he just starts naming them. You know, a a family against itself, a father against his son, and a mother against her daughter, and a father against his son-in-law, and just goes right down the list. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. That's what Jesus said. And so what I'm saying to you, if you're not fighting sin, you're not going to become a Satanist. You're going to become lukewarm. You're going to keep coming to church and you're going to have a form of godliness with no real power. So the actual normal status of a person born into this world in our sinful natures not being born again is a lukewarm believer. That's basically what 99% of everybody is. A lukewarm, I believe in God and I believe whatever keeps me on everybody's good side. <laughs> Without an edge. I don't, wanna, I don't want what I believe about God to cut anybody. I don't want what I believe about God to, to, to offend anybody, to upset anybody. I was listening to a, a talk radio and there was a lady who had decided that you know, she was going to be a part of uh, this next generation which was accepting homosexuality. And there was a couple of lesbian couples in her work. And so they said, hey, we're all going to do a destination marriage. Everybody here at work, we want you to go. And they insisted and... And so she and her husband, they went to Las Vegas to be a part of the lesbian couple's marriage. And again, they, they were questioning it. They knew she was a Christian and they were sort of putting them in situations. Hey, why don't you give us a toast? You know, so I don't really know her that well, but you know, she just kept putting me in a place to, to have to, with a smile on my face, accept it and agree with it. And boy, I did. And then the next couple, and then their anniversary, and then to go to their housewarming. And, you know, they were all, all eyes were on me in the workplace. And the boss would even, you know, let me know, hey, I know you're Christian, but boy, this is important that you, you know, we could, we could see this as you, uh, a lawsuit against the company if you don't, you know, if you say something negative, this is legal and so forth. Well, it finally came down where now they were going to have a baby, and this couple wanted this lady and her husband to be a reference why they would be good parents. And uh, this lady was a, a Catholic Christian, she said. And she just said, I could not do it. And I, you know, the boss told me, why don't you give her a reference? Other people, why aren't you giving her a reference? And, and then she finally just said, look, you know, it's sin. I can't go along with this. You know, I, 
And, and then she's just sort of ashamed of herself over the last few years, you know. I did everything I could to appease, to go along, to keep things at peace, to not upset anybody, to, you know, you know, spent my money, spent my vacation time, spent my time to... And now, the whole time I, I realized, you know, just how grievous it was to God. It was grieving me the whole time. It was grieving my husband the whole time. And I, and I realized... There, there was only one end to this story. <laughs> and that was to offend these people and to tell them what the Bible says and, and, and to offend them. And the whole time, and I knew it, in their minds, you know, I was going to have to accept them and their belief system fully. It was never about live and let live. I'm okay, you're okay, you believe what you believe and I believe and we'll all smile and get along. And I just see it so clearly now. But in essence... There's a lot of people that would just smile and fill out that form of why they think they'd be a great parent. And this is what I'm saying. It, it, God is not going to allow us in these last days to, to stay lukewarm. <laughs> Either we're going to get on fire and suffer the consequences of that, losing the promotion or losing the job or getting sued or whatever it is, or getting completely cold and accepting all of the Demonic doctrines, uh, as it says in First Timothy 4, the doctrines of demons, one of them is about marriage, causing some to depart from the faith. And here up front, we just, we've got to make that choice. Lukewarm is our natural, non-Christian self. Yeah, do you believe in God? Oh yeah, I believe in God. Well, do you believe this? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. That's our natural state. And the Lord is saying this, and it's hard to imagine Jesus, who's so loving, so kind, so forgiving, so merciful, says this, you make me want to barf. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? I mean, if you were just a sort of cold turkey, say, do you think Jesus is a very kind, loving, wonderful person? Somebody doesn't know the Bible a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would he ever look at you in the face saying, you make me want to throw up. No, Jesus would never say that. That's what I, you bunch of fundamental Bornean Christian type, you're all, that's a, you'd, like to, you'd like to think Jesus would say something like that, wouldn't you? You know? In essence, Jesus, as kind and wonderful as he is, he says that to who? His bride. Could you imagine a couple weeks before you're getting ready to get married and you walk up to the person you're getting ready to get married and say, you know, I know we're going to get married in a couple of weeks, but you know, when you're around your family, you act this way and that way, and or you, yeah, when you're around your friends, or, you know, I like a lot of parts of your, about your personality, but this one part about your personality, I just want you to know, it's so grotesque me, it makes me want to throw up every time I see you talking like that or acting like that or whatever. I mean, could anybody imagine saying that to their spouse-to-be? It's hard to imagine. I mean, they would have to be brought to a very emotional, I don't know, extreme place. You might say, man, you're being dramatic or you're, being, you're exaggerating. But yet Jesus is saying here, I cannot tolerate everybody always <laughs> speaking well of you, as Jesus said. Beware when all men speak well of you. The right people should hate you, right? And the right people should love you. 
But if the people who hate you, they should hate you if they really knew what you say you believe and stand for and so forth, they don't hate you, then you're not being honest with them or you're not truly being a sharp two-edged sword on the issues that you need to be sharp and two-edged on. Again, Jesus Christ died, brutalized, tortured on the cross for our sin. So you can't say, well, man, man's a basically a good person. Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross if man was a basically good person. Jesus died on the cross because we are wicked. We are evil. We are sinful. Our heart, it says, is desperately, deceitfully wicked above all things who could know it. Jesus died on the cross. We're going to hell. Eternal place of damnation, of lake of fire. We're going to be studying that. And so to try to reduce Christianity down into, uh, well, you know, the thing I love about Jesus, Jesus is nice, and, and, you know, he seems to draw a lot of nice people, and, you know, we have the wonderful angels, and, you know, we have all the beautiful streams, and, you know, and you try to paint this Christianity without the cross. As Paul says in Galatians 5, if I stopped preaching the cross, then I would have stopped offending people. But I'm offending people, therefore I am still preaching the cross. And so uh, it says in 1 Corinthians to, to the one person, it's foolishness. To, to another person, it's a stumbling block. But Christ and him crucified, either they think you're an idiot they're, they're deeply offended over it or they are a deep believer because of it. But there's none of us here that are truly born again that didn't face the, the heated, sharp issue of Jesus had a, was horribly tortured and crucified and died a horrible death because I am that bad of a person. I am that evil of a sinner. What Jesus experienced was absolutely necessary to be punished with justice before the Father that my sins could be forgiven. If Jesus wasn't beaten and whipped and his beard plucked out and nails through his hands, the Father would have looked at Jesus' punishment and said, it's not sufficient for Brian to be forgiven because he was so evil the just punishment for his crime would have to been something like this. Something more painful. Something more drastic, right? And so again, Jesus was tortured to that degree because we're sinners to that degree. And um, Spurgeon said this, the world is always at peace with a lukewarm church. And such a church is always pleased with itself. Isn't that interesting? The world is always at peace with a lukewarm church. And a lukewarm church is always pleased with itself. That's exactly what we see. Look in verse 17 there. What is the lukewarm church saying about itself? What does it believe about itself? It says this I- I'm listening to you, Jesus. You're saying we're lukewarm and you want to vomit us out, but what I'm looking in the mirror. You know, here, here's Calvary Chapel, San Diego. We're looking in the mirror. 
and I, I hope this isn't true of us, but this is trying to give you an analogy. The church in Laodicea is not convicted by these words. You're lukewarm. You, want me to, you make me want to throw up. And they're looking at going, Jesus, you're off. Something's wrong with you. Because I'm looking at the church of Laodicea, and we are rich. We, we've become wealthy. We're in need of nothing. We, and Jesus turns around and says, do you not know that you are what? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, what a huge difference. One is saying, I think we're wonderful. I think we're basically good. I think that's why we're so healthy and wealthy and wise because we are just the most right on church representing you that's ever existed. And Jesus is saying not, well, you're, you're basically good. You know, yeah, you guys are, uh, I, I'm, really, I'm really being picky. I shouldn't be so picky. There's a couple little things that the Laodicean church should change about itself. He's not saying that, is he? He, look at the things. Number one, wretched. That's a heavy thing to say about your bride. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. What a heavy, heavy thing to say. And then he says, I counsel you. I give you my advice to buy for me gold, refined to the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may be not revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesight that you may see. Now, some people are saying, boy, this is harsh. That's the thing about Christianity. That's the thing about this book of Revelation. It's a harsh book. Listen, guys. Listen to the heart of our Lord. He, he says here, I, I want you to be rich. <laughs> I want you to be well-clothed. I want you to see really good. He's not here condemning us. I hope you don't listen to me so I can burn you in hell. You're around naked and I just, one day you're going to see how naked and miserable you look and I'm going to laugh and laugh in your face. Is that what Jesus is saying here? We are hearing the great words of love, of saying, guys, the truth is the truth and, and you're blind to the truth. And it's going to one day devastate you eternally in judgment. Listen to my judgment now. Again, in Romans 8, Jesus said, makes it clear, he did not come to the world to condemn the world. In John 3, but that the world through him might be saved. And again, in Romans 8, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Listen to Jesus in Isaiah 55, verse 1. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here in your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David. This is our Lord crying out to us tonight. I love you. Oh, everyone who thirsts comes. You don't have any money. It doesn't matter. I'm going to feed you with food that you've, like you've never ate before. And then he makes it clear in verse 19. As many as I love, what? I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. You know, 
Imagine you're a doctor and there's a disease out there that's killing people. After suffering two years horribly, then you die a horrible, painful death. And the sign of it is your ear gets puffy and red. And you've diagnosed hundreds of people with this and there's a medicine, you give it one pill and they're cured. And you're a husband or a parent and you see your spouse or your child with that symptoms. And you just like, yeah, you know, tell them they got a disease and they're gonna have a painful death and die in a couple of years. I don't want, that's just a, that just seems like a really harsh thing to say. I, I don't think our relationship can handle that kind of stress. I'm just gonna, I know they have it, but I'm not gonna be the one to tell them. I, I, I just can't bring myself to have that kind of heavy conversation. Would, would, would you be a loving person? You would have to be a horrible, evil person to not share the truth, especially when there's a cure. And so if Jesus wasn't honest with their spiritual situation, he would be evil. But love rebukes, love chastens. In Hebrews 12, verse five, it says, and you, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be, what, discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And in verse seven, going on in in Hebrews 12, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which I all, which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more be readily to be subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no one is chaste, no one chastened seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. But nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those to whom have been trained by it. So it is always a heavy thing to hear. You've got to change. Or what you're, the way you're living is sinful. Or the way you're living is lukewarm in this case. There's sin in your life and, and you think you're handling it. It's not changing you. And you're just as on fire for God. You're just as fruitful. And, and they're saying, no, you're... Your sinning has made you look to you in the mirror like everything's okay. But I'm observing and you're not on fire for the Lord. You're not sharing people. You're not leading others to Christ. You're not praying like you used to. You're not reading the word like you used to. You're not worshiping you like you used to. You're not, you're not fruitful. You've got this shallow Christianity. You've got this thing that has a form of godliness and you're saying that it's just as good as the way you used to be and you've deceived yourself. You know, the, one of the hardest times sometimes about getting an alcoholic in rehab is convincing him he's an alcoholic. So often people are just, no, I drink, yeah, I drink more than I should. I'm gonna stop that. I can stop anytime I want. How many times have I heard that? I can stop anytime I want. Okay, just stop for a couple of days. I could, I'm not going to, but yeah, I could, you know. 
And, and they, sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes horrible accidents. I mean, sometimes for them to really see it, I am an alcoholic and destroying my life and destroying relationships around me. It takes horrific things, huh? In the same way spiritually, sometimes we are, are just so far away from God. We are so... It's so bad. He's saying, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. But yet, we're, we can't hear it. We're just looking in the mirror. Oh, he loves us and everything's so wonderful and everything's so great. And, you know, I, I've done enough marriage counseling where you sit down with a couple and you say, well, why, why are you here? And the guy is going, man, our marriage is so wonderful. I have no idea. And the wife says, I've already talked to a lawyer and uh, I just wanted to hand you in front of the pastor so you don't hit me. Here's the divorce papers. And he's like, over what? I thought we were both wonderfully happy. I thought we had the best marriage in the world. And I mean, truly, she's been miserable for years. <laughs> Repeatedly told him all the things she's miserable about. Not, no change has happened. And he is completely 100% clueless. She told him he could not hear it. He, she was saying, this is so bad, I can't continue. And he's hearing, oh, things could be a little better, but it's no big deal, don't worry about it. We've all seen that, haven't we? People completely shocked that the other person is so miserable, they're wanting this thing to end. And this is, again, this is the church of Laodicea. I'm rich, I'm well clothed. Boy, things are the one, I'm the, I'm the most fruitful Christian on the planet. And the Lord is saying, there's nothing fruitful about you at all. But again, what's the Lord's attitude of hate, of anger, of revenge? No, look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Where is he? He's as close as he can get. If who? Anyone. Anyone at all. Anyone who's a believer that's not where you need to be, the Lord is there. He is active. He's knocking. He's trying to bring you to repentance. He's trying to convict your heart. He's speaking to you individually. He is outside knocking and he is crying out and saying, if you will hear my voice, I'm willing. I am willing. You're not willing. But if you were willing, you can open the door and I will come in. I'll come in like a dog out on a cold winter's night smelling bacon inside. I'm in. I'm going to come running in. And I will come into him. And I'll dine with him. And he with me. I'm so willing. I love you. I'm being direct. I'm speaking hard words. I'm speaking cutting words. I I understand this is upsetting. I I understand this may sound mean. But I'm saying all of this because I want a relationship. You, what you call a relationship isn't a relationship. We can't stay this way. It's, it's, I can't live this way. I'm outside. I'm not inside. But I love you. If you are willing, I am willing. And I'm willing. Please be willing. And then he says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Look, there's no second class citizen. There's no 
You'll ne- you know, you've damaged things and they'll never be repaired. Even though this has been going on a long time, even though there's a lot of wasted years, even though there's a lot of hurtful things that have been done, a lot of opportunities missed, you're going to look back with a lot of regret. If you will hear my voice, when we are in heaven together, you'll be right there with me, seated with me on the throne. Isn't that radical? Not down in the dungeon, you know, cleaning the socks. You're right there, all power, all relationship restored. And then he comes back to say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And that's the question. Can we hear? The, the, the fear in these last days is men only have the ability to hear things that will tickle their ears. They can't be pierced. Their heart's, their heart's numb. You know, it's, it's like taking a, 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 a rag doll and sticking a knife into the rag doll and looking at the doll's face to see if it changes its expression. Our heart can become that numb where God takes his two-edged sword out and says, you're grieving me and you're just a rag doll, the same dumb expression on your face. I don't have a relationship with you right now. I'm outside. I'm wanting to come inside. And I don't feel it. I don't feel like I've sinned against you, God. I don't feel that I'm naked. I don't feel like I'm blind. You keep telling me that I'm not fruitful, that I'm not, and you're telling me I need to be zealous and repent. And You, you know, I think, I think the biggest crime in all of this would be is if you know consciously you're not where you need to be spiritually and you don't cry out for a heart of flesh that can fill. Because as we look in Peter, he he says this, that do not mistake the goodness of God as though he's never going to judge. You're saying, oh man, I've heard this message before and you know things are as the way they are and that was a couple years ago. There is going to be a day, and we're going to see it in the book of Revelation, guys. There is going to be a day when God judges and in that day there will be no mercy, guys. There will be no holding back. I think often people can, can say, yeah, I'm not the on-fire Christian I should be, but one day I'll get there. But until then, uh, you know, God's just this good, loving, caring guy knocking at the door of my heart. Yeah, here out. Where do you go, Jesus? Yeah, one of these days I'll open that door. And, and, but, you know, we have, we have a whole lifetime to get that right. And guys, it's not true. It's not true. One last verse in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Paul says this, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you all know that we are not disqualified. I think we just need to come back and just say, Lord, am I saying I see, but I'm blind? Am I feeling like I'm dressed in this beautiful royal robe of righteousness, but I'm completely naked. Am I saying that I'm so healthy, but yet my body has this stench of sickness and there's 
pus coming out, sores in my body, but I look at my body and I don't see any of that. Am I, okay, let's just ask. I mean, if I'm a believer, Christians, sheep beget sheep, right? Sheep have more sheep. Just simple. Have have I led people to you? Have I gone in the world and made disciples? Let me think. Who's who's somebody, who's a name that I've led to Christ and discipled them? I've been a Christian, it's never happened. Okay, well, there you go. You know that. The Bible says meditate in your word day and night. Do I seek God in his word and meditate day and night? Well, no, I don't, but I sort of do. I got this system of it. Just, you don't. Just go down the, the list of what a true Christian is, abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. And if you're not doing that, even though you may not feel it because you're so far into this sin, you're, you're neutralized, you're past filling. The Bible says that's the searing of a conscience. It's like somebody steals and steals and steals. At first they feel bad about stealing and then eventually they don't feel bad about stealing at all and then eventually stealing doesn't feel like stealing at all. Matter of fact, good is evil, evil is good. There's that point where you gotta ask, I'm just, I'm past filling. I've been such a, a disobedient Christian or Christian that's not walking, abiding in Christ that I just have this form of godliness and just, I just, I'm absolutely fine with it. I don't even feel any conviction about not changing. That's a scary place to be, guys. And that's where we need to come back. And that's why the Lord says, be zealous and repent. Because there is a day of judgment. And that day of judgment, if you're not right with him, should motivate you right now. And let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now. And I just ask in Jesus' name as these heavy, heavy words in Revelation are to be heavy. And God help the pastor that tries to cushion the blow. God help the, the teacher to try to make it palatable to all. That would make it seem that all are obeying, that all are fine. We know it's our sinful, human, fallen condition to be lukewarm to not deeply repent and to turn from our wicked way and to follow you passionately and wholly and righteously and, and continue to hate what you hate to the degree you hate it and to love what you love to the degree you love it and to fight, as Paul says, to keep the faith and a good conscience that we don't shipwreck. Lord, right now I know tonight that you brought many here and many through the radio and many through uh, listening online are going to hear this around the world and I ask in Jesus' name that you would do the work that only your word can do. You said it's a two-edged sword. It would pierce in, dividing between the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do it, God. And Lord, I, I stand before you and I say, Lord, if it's me, if there be any wicked way in me, if there's any offensive way in me, if there's any lukewarm or compromising way in me, Lord, I want to see it. If I'm naked and thinking I'm well clothed, forgive me. If I think I see but I'm blind, forgive me and help me. Lord, I want to hear it. Lord, if our sins are so great that we can no longer hear the knocking, you're knocking, but our hearts are so callous they can't hear the knocking anymore. We're, We're in the worst of all places. Help us, God. 
We want to be somebody who doesn't just lead one or two to Christ, but we lead a dozen people to Christ and disciple them this year. That we're not a little bit fruitful, but we are radically fruitful and men see our good works and glorify our Father is in heaven. We're so fruitful, you've got to prune us that we bear more fruit. That the joy of the Lord is our strength and, and that we're bearing fruit in season and out of season. Our leaf is not withering. Whatever we're doing is prospering. And that we're, every day on this earth is just a radical, fruitful, dynamic reason why we're alive. We're just not breathing air and like a, like a rat in a cage just spinning around on a wheel going nowhere. Lord, help us. Cleanse us, free us. And we know there's many that didn't make it tonight that are out Christmas shopping or at a Christmas party or just tired from all of the holiday festivities that you, you were drawing here. But whatever, the time of year, they, they missed it. Lord, please, as they're sitting at home, and they're lazy boy recliner, or they're standing in line, fighting the lines in the supermarket or at the, at the Walmart or whatever. Please, Lord, just let your spirit fall upon them right now. We ask that we, in this holiday time, would go into this new season, Lord, just passionately where we need to be for you. No longer lukewarm. We know you don't want anybody cold. You said either cold or hot. You want everybody hot. You want everybody on fire. Please, Lord, help us to be. We just lay it at your feet. In Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen.